Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. of New Line and Castle Hill Roads with house band New Line Church Ladies and gentlemen this is Don't Judge a Book Please welcome your host Jason Todd and the assistant to the regional host Chris Dunno! Thank you very much, thank you very much, and welcome to the third episode of Don't Judge a Book. Chris? Apparently the final. <laughs> Apparently oh. so. That's alright. I, I mean... I've had a lot of fun. Have you had fun? I've had fun, yes. We've had a blast. It's been a really great run. Uh, and what better way to, to wrap up than uh, by concluding the series and apparently our show by looking at the end of all things in the book of Revelation. We're going to start our service tonight by singing a song in his name. It says, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And in Sydney at the moment, we can't gather together to sing, let alone gather together at all, Chris. That's right, uh, but the book of Revelation reminds us that while we might not be able to sing now, we will sing together then. Oh, 
Uh, let's have our first guest. Okay. Jason, who's our first guest? I thought you were getting the guest. No, because of the lockdown, you were going to... Do you need to get the guest? I didn't get the guest. Can you call front of house? We'll call Maybe front. Okay. Hold on a second. Your call is important to us and will be answered in the order it was received. This is great TV. Open up your book. They're not answering. We'll be right back. Our next guest to do the Bible reading is one half of New Line Tech and Sons. Uh, Mikey does the sound for us, and so if the sound's a bit low at home, turn it up yourself. It's Mikey! Take a seat. Thank you. Mark, a couple of questions for mm-hmm. you. What is yep. the best book you've ever read? I'm not much of a reader, if I'm honest, uh, but one book I couldn't put down once I picked it up was a, was a gift, was, a, was Norse, Myth- Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman. Oh. What is the best book you've never read? I mean, I, I know it's already been said a couple times, but I haven't read any of the Harry Potter books, and considering my fiance is a huge Potterhead, I feel like that is there is definitely something that's going to test our relationship. <laughs> something to get on to before yeah. the wedding day. And what is your favourite thing or passage from Revelation? Uh, my favourite is actually something that you read last week for us from uh, from chapter seven, uh, verse nine goes from. Um, After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. I just think it's a beautiful image. Um, about what we get to look forward to. And it's just great. Excellent. Thanks, Mikey. Mikey is going to be doing our Bible reading for us. So, open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19, and we're going to be starting from verse 11. Thanks, Mikey. Alrighty, chapter 19, starting from verse 11 until the end of the chapter. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has his name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth in their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. 
The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. So tonight we are going to think about the future. Yeah, get to the good stuff. That might be what you're thinking. Finally, we're in the book of Revelation. Let's get to all that future stuff. How does the world end? Before that, however, Jason, can you think of any examples of where you have needed to achieve a goal or a task and there's a right tool to do it, but you don't have that right tool or that right item available, so you've just made do with something else? I don't know. Like an example? You're, yeah, give okay. us an example. So, like, uh, maybe I want to know if I can move a piece of furniture to a different spot in the house, and I want to know if it fits. So I'm like, okay. Uh, okay, so it's like this big, and I come around, and I try to keep my arms locked, and maybe I'm like, oh, do they move? I don't know. But I make do with what I've got to try and hmm. work it out. It's more like an approximation. Okay. Have you got another example? Or like, so if I need to rule a straight line sometimes, I'll just use the spine of a book, and hopefully it's a straight book <laughs> to get a straight line. <laughs> Any more? <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, one time I hammered a nail using a shoe. Did it work? Uh, well enough. <laughs> well enough. Yeah. yeah. But you get the idea, right? Yeah. When you, you, you know what you want to achieve, you don't have exactly what you need, so you make do with something else. And I, I think, controversially maybe, that sometimes that's how we approach the book of Revelation. We think Revelation is all about the end of the world and it has all this clear information for us. But I'm just not convinced Revelation is primarily focused on the end of the world or trying to communicate to us clearly future events, at least. Hmm. I think some people really are convinced, no, Revelation is all about teaching us about the end of the world. And they might be listening to this thinking, maybe, Chris, you just haven't studied Daniel and Ezekiel and Revelation together enough to get a clear understanding. But I think to those people, I would want them to look at Matthew 24, where Jesus says this. He says, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. Like Jesus himself acknowledges there's a great deal of mystery around the end of the world and the, the day of judgment, the day of the coming of Christ again. As apocalyptic literature, I think this book is just more evocative than it is clear, than it is precise. It's it's more like poetry. And so, it's like, yeah, it it gets by, it gives us some information, but sometimes we push it a little further than it should be pushed. Like hammering a nail into the wall using a shoe. So, Revelation is not primarily about the future. That said, it's probably the best book we have in the Bible for giving us an idea of how things come to an end in the world. So if this book is not uh, primarily about sort of seeing into the future, what future events does the book of Revelation deal with, Chris? Yeah, so I mean, I, I should acknowledge it is very much about the future, but it's just its goal isn't to give us a clear understanding of the future, I don't <laughs> think. Uh, I think there's a number of events that we learn from Revelation need to happen before the end. And so uh, we have uh, what's known as the Great Tribulation, like there's many judgments God pours out on the earth. Uh, they mention the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. We've got Christ coming back. That needs to happen before the end. We've got the, what some people might call the rapture or the resurrection of the saints that needs to happen. We've got this thousand year reign of Christ, the millennium. We've got the final battle with Satan. We've got the judgment of evil. And we've got the arrival of the new heavens and the new earth. So that's a lot in there. Let's yeah. define some of those terms to help us out. So, uh, firstly, what is tribulation? 
Yeah, great. I think, yeah, if you're reading Revelation or reading things about Revelation, different churches will throw around different words. So let me try and break down some of these. So tribulation. Uh, I think the, the great tribulation is the, the troubles the world encounters. So kind of from Revelation 6 to 16, there's this uh, series of judgments from God on the earth. And people would understand that as the tribulation, the world going through troubles. What about rapture? Yeah, so rapture is probably not a word you'd hear used in our church at least, but in many church traditions, uh, rapture is a really popular idea. Uh, so maybe I need to say what some people mean by rapture versus what other people mean by rapture. Uh, the rapture is a belief that a certain time in the future, Christ is going to call to himself all true believers. Uh, so you might have seen movies or books like the Left Behind series or things like that, uh, where suddenly one day people wake up and... Uh, their loved ones around them are gone, or friends are gone, colleagues are gone, the idea that God is just going to rapture up, pull up to himself, those who are faithful. Uh, Similar idea, not exactly the same idea, but is the idea of the resurrection of the saints. The idea that one day when Christ returns, uh, believers, those who are living and dead, are going to be gathered to him uh, as he returns to earth, uh, and together they'll be there on the last day when Christ judges the earth. So, for clarity, I don't hold to the idea of a sudden unexpected disappearing of bodies uh, while other people are left on earth, and we'll get to that in in a bit of time, but uh, I do believe in the resurrection of the saints. Excellent. What about millennium? Yeah, so now if we get to uh, Revelation 20, uh, we we learn that there's going to be this thousand years of Christ's reign on earth. And this is probably the understanding of, of this idea, the millennium, the, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, is where you notice a lot of church traditions splitting. Uh, and we, then we split around other ideas as well because of this understanding of the millennium. Uh, some people understand the millennium to be the time when, from when Christ comes back to earth, then he will reign on earth for a thousand years while Satan is imprisoned. Uh, and then at the end of this thousand years, Satan is going to break out Uh, wreak havoc for a time on the earth again uh, and then Christ will defeat him in a final battle. Uh, Then he'll he'll judge good and evil and we'll have the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, Others understand the millennium to be uh, sort of, uh, well actually there's a variety of positions on this, but uh, Christ's Christ's return is a more secret one that people don't necessarily realize Christ has returned, and then there's a thousand years, and in a thousand years, he's publicly present and reigns over the earth and defeats Satan. Uh, a different understanding of millennialism, the millennium, uh, would be the one that I follow, that I think our church tradition would follow, is understanding that the millennium isn't a literal thousand years, but it's a period of Christ's reign on the earth. So what you're saying then is that the thousand years is following our advice from week one of being a symbol. So not to be taken literally, but to mean something else. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah, I think when we get to numbers in Revelation, we should often be asking, hang on, is this a symbol? Yeah, for sure. That's when, helpful. When would you think that this thousand years would be then? Obviously, there's a bunch of different views in whether it's already happened, it's happening now, it's happening later. Yeah, great. So uh, there's different positions. I'll, I'll throw out some labels just in case you've heard them so you know what people mean. Premillennial means you believe Christ comes before the millennium, the thousand years. Postmillennial means you believe Christ is coming at the end of the thousand years. Amillennial means you don't believe in a literal thousand years. And that's the position I'd subscribe to. I think the thousand years is symbolic. And the thousand years actually begins when Christ 
died, rose again, ascended into heaven and gave his Holy Spirit. That was the start of the thousand years. So we now live in the thousand years of Christ's reign over the earth. One day he will come back a second time to judge good and evil. Uh, but right now we're in the thousand years of Christ's reign. He's reigning right now. Excellent. You talk about Christ's return. Is there anything else you want to mention about that as we're talking about it? Yeah, I think uh, as we read through Revelation, these ideas are revisited. Uh, the idea of when God will judge the earth. It seems to come up a few times and it's like, hang on, is this successive judgments or is this the same judgment happening at once? Uh, the day of Christ, when Christ will uh, judge evil, does that happen a few different times in different phases or it happen once? Uh, and Christ's return, does, it, does he come secretly and then publicly or does he just come one time? And different churches have come up with different traditions. Uh, I think the simplest way to understand Revelation is not to just assume every event is a different event, but sometimes we're getting different perspectives on the same events. And so Christ's return, when he comes back, will be public. Where the, uh, Revelation and other pa- books of the Bible talk about a trumpet blast mm-hmm. and happening in the sky, in the clouds. People will know when Christ comes back. Uh, then he'll gather the saints to himself, those living and dead in the great resurrection, uh, and he'll come to judge the earth then. What about Armageddon? You mentioned that before. Yeah, so uh, you might hear the phrase Armageddon, a terrible movie from the 90s, <laughs> or awesome, depending on your perspective. Uh, Armageddon is popularly understood as uh, the end of the world, uh, or the final battle. Uh, and in Reve- the book of Revelation, in chapter 16, Armageddon is mentioned as a location for a final battle. Uh, it's Hebrew transliterated into Greek, so Armageddon is literally Har, which is Mount in Hebrew, Megiddo, which is a location in northern Israel, uh, Har Megiddo, Armageddon. Uh, it's a site in Judges, in Two Kings, uh, where there's these really famous battles in Israel's history, so it's, it's considered a place of battle. And so I think, again, uh, John's just more symbolically using Old Testament allusions, like you talked about in the first week, know your Old Testament, to help us understand the concept of a, of a final battle coming. Mm. Speaking of final, what about final judgment? Yeah, uh, so we've acknowledged that through the book of Revelation, there's this sense of God judging the earth. We have the seven trumpets, the seven seals before that, followed by the seven bowls, uh, different kinds of judgments happening on the earth. But there's a build-up to a final judgment. It's promised throughout the Old Testament that one day Jesus is going to come to judge the living and the dead. Uh, And this judgment is going to be final in that uh, those who have put their trust in Jesus will go with him on to the new heavens and the new earth. And those who have rejected Jesus, those who have rejected God, uh, will will face an eternal judgment. Uh, We sometimes refer to that as hell. It's not something we're always comfortable talking about because it's so final and so confronting. Uh, But in essence, the Bible teaches us that we are all sinners, all people who have rejected God. And our only hope to avoid the judgment that we deserve is to grab a hold of Christ and not let go, to put our trust in him. Those who don't do that, who don't put their trust in Christ, are going to face uh, justice for what they've done. Uh, in this life, they—that's uh, what the sense of I think the sense of hell that they're going to be facing judgment, for justice for eternity. I came across one person who described it as an eternal quarantining of those who have rejected God to be quarantined from His new heavens and His new earth. 
New Heaven and New Earth. Do you mind explaining that a little bit? Yeah, so uh, I think in pop culture there's this idea that when we die, we go up to heaven uh, in the clouds, we play harps, and uh, <laughs> it sounds really boring. Uh, Revelation has a much more robust vision of what's coming. Uh, that this wonderful but broken world, God's going to do away with this world and replace it with a similar but much, much better world. A new heavens and a new earth, a new sky and a new land, a new world. Uh, and that new world, that new heavens and new earth, is described in a variety of different ways to give us different perspectives again on that. So at one point it's described as a new world. At another point it's described as the new garden of Eden, the new paradise where Adam and Eve dwelt once upon a time, but now even better. At a different point it's described as the new Jerusalem, a city, so it's, it's both the city where God meets with his people, it's the garden of paradise, it's a whole world, and it's also described as uh, being a part of a great wedding banquet, a great party, a great big celebration. And so I think we get so many different, almost conflicting perspectives to give us a sense of how grand, how wonderful, how good it will be without giving us all the exact description. So what about the chronology, Chris? Yeah, trying to put it all together gets really messy and tricky. Uh, forgive me, I might repeat myself a bit here, but I think it's worth working, working through. Uh, so, a popular chronology, a way of understanding Revelation would start with the now, what's happening now for us, but in the future, we don't know exactly when, the tribulation will begin. And people will read newspaper articles and think, oh, now it's starting. This looks like the events of Revelation. Uh, and either right after or right before the tribulation, we have the rapture, when... Uh, followers of Jesus are called up home. Uh, then we have Christ's return, maybe public, maybe secret. Uh, then a thousand years of Christ reigning on the earth while Satan is bound. Then Satan breaks free, wreaks havoc for a time. Then Christ defeats him in a final battle. Uh, and then judgment of evil uh, and believers are welcomed into the wedding of the Lamb in the new heavens and the new earth. So that's one popular understanding of Revelation. Uh, it's not the one I follow. Like I said before, I think the best way to understand Revelation is to understand that we're already in the thousand years because the thousand years are what believers have, in Christ have always occupied. From the moment he rose again, ascended in heaven, gave his spirit, we've been in the thousand years of his reign on earth. Uh, even understanding the tribulation, uh, the different judgments on the earth, I think uh, you might have noticed in the daily footnotes if you've been following those, uh, that I, I made the case that at least the first four of the seven seals, uh, war, famine, conquest, enmity, those kind of ideas, they're present realities. And they've always been present realities for followers of Jesus. God's judgment has been expressed on the earth ever since Christ uh, ascended into heaven because God is trying to call people back to himself. He's trying to encourage them to call out and realize that they badly need him. So I think the tribulation uh, might increase in severity as we get closer to the end, but at least in the sense of God's judgment happening on the earth, it's, it's already happening. Towards the end of this time, Christ will return. And at that time, everyone on earth will know it. Uh, believers from all time will join him. Uh, and there will be a final battle, except the final battle won't really be much of a battle at all. As Mikey read for us from Revelation 19 before, Christ comes as this mighty warrior on a horse. But notice two things about him. He comes with the robe already splashed with blood. 
and he comes with a sword, but the sword is the word of his mouth. The way Christ is going to win this battle is by speaking the truth. And he's already covered in blood because he's already fought the battle by dying on a cross. It's not going to be some iffy, oh, who's going to win this fight between Satan's army and Christ's army? Christ's already won the victory. When he comes for the final battle, he's really just affirming the victory has already happened. And he'll speak justice and judgment, and what he speaks will be done. Uh, And then those who have rejected him will be judged for that. So that idea of everything being all right uh, is described beautifully in Revelation 21, verses 1 to 7. Yep. Read it for us. So Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. Yeah, thanks for reading that, man. I think that's such a a wonderful thing for us to be looking forward to. So Chris, we've looked through the chronology, how things are ordered or might be ordered, but why does this even matter? Yeah, (laughs) Uh, I mean, churches disagree on this and there's different interpretations of the chronology of Revelation and in some sense it doesn't matter. Uh, It's encouraging future hope regardless. But I think I just have a concern when we relegate Revelation to just just dealing with the future Mm. instead of giving us a framework to understand the world today. And so why I think it's, it's helpful to understand us as being in the millennium today is because we're under the reign of Christ today. When it looks like things are out of control in the world, it's really reassuring to remember, no, Christ is in control. Christ still sits on the throne. The slain lamb is king. I think it's helpful for us to have a framework to understand that God wants to bring people back to himself. That he's not indifferent about how the world is playing out. uh, That he's active in the world today. And it's good to know... uh, how things are going to play out in the future too. But we said at the beginning, Revelation is not primarily about the future. It discusses the future. It focuses on the future in a sense, but it's not for the sake of the future. It's not for the sake of future generations. It's for us as much as the future generations too. Revelation is a call for us to live radically today. It's about our practice. It's about how we live. It's not just about what we think about the future. It's a call for us to stand firm, to stay true, to love our enemies as Christ loved his enemies, to suffer with Christ as Christ has suffered. Revelation affirms for us again and again that Christ didn't die, Christ didn't suffer so that we can avoid suffering. Instead, it affirms that suffering with Christ and for Christ is the path to ultimate victory.
Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm Congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatts.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.